Hello, this is episode 18 of Back to Normal. Today is September 9th, 2020. So let's get started. So today I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart. It seemed like it would make a good ep- uh, topic for an episode, and that is taking something that is not your job and making it your job. But caveat here being, um, if you like your job and don't want to leave it, how to slowly transition your way um, from a job at a place you like to doing a job you like at a place you like. And um, this is something, like I said, near and dear to my heart. Um, this is what I have been working on doing for the last, I would say, three to four years at NSERC, which is where I work in the public service in Canada, the federal government. And um, it's been kind of interesting for me just to go through this process, like knowingly going through it, trying to, um, you know, take on work and start projects that don't directly relate to work that, you know, somebody in my position would normally do. And um, just kind of, I figured it was worth discussing and just saying if, if anybody who is listening is in that kind of position or, um, you know, is has a job that they, where they like where they work, but don't necessarily love what they do specifically. Um, I know that that's, that's pretty common for a lot of people because um, at least for me, um, where I work, like the, the specific place I work doesn't really have that much importance. The, the importantest, the importantest, the most important thing to me is the people that I work with. And so if I can stay at a place that has really great people and kind of tailor what I do over time to get to where I really want to be, um, then that's kind of the ideal situation for me. Um, and so I started off, um, I'm a program officer, which means that I run one of our, well, technically, I guess, kind of two of our grant programs, um, or at least a subset of one of them, and then another one uh, on the side. And um, so, yeah, that's my main job. And then the other kind of things that you do over the course of a year to make up the rest of the time um, really have to do with what your interests are. So there are little projects, there are kind of policy things that you can work on. Um, there's all kinds of procedures and and making changes to different programs depending on feedback we get. And um, so it it does leave some time to be able to be flexible and say, listen, I um, this aspect of my job, I don't necessarily love as much. So I'm going to dedicate some time to it, but not necessarily as much as this other thing, which oh, is shiny over there. And I really like that. Um, so the first thing I would say is if you see an opportunity or if an opportunity arises to do something on the side that you think you'd really enjoy, um, and you happen to have some kind of tangential or direct existing skill that, that can kind of point you in that direction to your superiors, um, take advantage of that opportunity. So be like, Hey, I can apply this existing skill I have and, um, maybe work on this project and, and help out with it. And so I have a couple examples where I did that. Um, So kind of the first thing I did was recognize that I, I won't say that I'm some kind of expert programmer, but the only thing that turns an amateur programmer from to an expert programmer is doing it over and over and over again, just for a long time. And I've got well over five years of programming experience now. And um, most of that comes from working at NSERC. And so when a, when a opportunity to, um, build a tool or put something together that that uses some kind of programming. I'm I'm right there, and I'm like, okay, I can apply this skill, and I can absolutely make this work. And I can even I can even put some work in to have something ready before anyone's even asked for it. 
And um, it makes it really hard to turn down when you say, hey, look, I did this and I put in all the work already. Um, it might need some polishing, but here it is like basically done. Um, it's really hard to say no to that. And um, yeah, like I said, there's there there's almost always an opportunity for that when it comes to this quarantine, this lockdown that we've had. Um, it kind of threw a wrench into how NSERC normally does things. And so normally over the summer, we have our employees go, uh, staff go to universities and colleges across Canada and kind of talk about our policy changes, talk about how our programs are going to change and and kind of pitch our programs to researchers because um, the programs are there to support them. And so we want to answer questions and figure out um, how we can best support them. And obviously, given this is 2020, year of everything being bad, um, we're not traveling anymore. And so rather than rather than trying to adapt these to give these live presentations where people are at home and not necessarily set up properly to be able to um, have all this complicated stuff going on in the background, um, there's not a good kind of solid audio or visual connection like we would have if we were if we were in the office giving this presentation. And so in order to kind of give equal access to everybody, um, we decided, especially um, given the fact that it's it's going to be rather hard to give live presentations um, for the for the people who would present them, obviously, because not everybody has like an audio visual setup at home that's that's high enough quality to to do one of these live streams. Um, but also the fact that people aren't necessarily um, as able to pick out an hour or two in one of their middle of one of their days to be able to pay attention to one of these webinars and um, which which we would otherwise, I think, if we weren't able to travel, we would still try and stream them. Um, it just didn't make sense this year. And so um, we decided to use an idea that I had actually been throwing around for for a couple of years before this, um, before the pandemic hit. And recording the webinar sessions. So I had been done some recording of some of my sessions, um, orienting committee members, just so that anybody who missed it or wanted to kind of go back and, and check out what had been said could go and do that. And um, so I had been recording them. I had been basically, I didn't have a script for those, but I had been basically giving the presentation that I would normally give and just recording it with a separate camera and a separate microphone and then packaging that up. Um, quickly kind of editing together over the course of a day or two and um, putting it up for the um, committee members. And that worked really well. And so we took that um, that idea and basically said, hey, we have this that we can do pretty easily. Um, since we're not going to be presenting these webinars, we're not going to be traveling. We can set up this um, system and have staff record things from their house so that if they and we'll, we'll write a script so that everything that they say is approved um, by management and there's no kind of ad-libbing or anything like that. Um, and we can take that script and we can take um, the files that they've that they've created and um, we can sync it up with the slides that they've got and the slides that we've already prepared because again, when this is all starting, you're thinking, okay, um, back in March, we were thinking, okay, well, you know, obviously by May, we're just gonna be able to travel again and things are gonna be back to normal or at least a lot better. And um, very quickly found out, no, that's not, that's not a quick fix. It's not gonna just go away. And um, so we got to the point where, you know, we, we had all this material and it was just a matter of getting people ready to present it. So we picked out a few people, um, recorded it. And because, like I said, I had five years of programming experience, mostly from NSERC, I also have over five years, probably closer to six or seven years of video editing experience. 
And not to say that I've done any kind of visual effects or anything or, or putting a movie together, but I've recorded videos and edited, edited them together. And that's really all this was. So um, put together a quick template so that we can make all the videos look the same, regardless of people's you know camera quality, regardless of people's um, the way they recorded their specific setup. Um, it was pretty easy to put together a template and um, basically just edit all the videos together. I had one other colleague who I think was in a similar situation to me. Um, who had done some video editing, who said, yeah, I can take on some of the work as well. And so between he and I, um, we all, we just kind of pushed through all these videos, edited together um, for one of our, our for main programs of the Discovery Grants program. We did four videos in each of English and French. And then for the RTI program, which is the program I am run, um, or at least in part I run, um, put together actually 18 video modules in both English and French. Um, these are a lot shorter. The, our, the Discovery Grants ones are more like 15 minutes. We took a, a more modular approach with RTI. So we ended up with 18 videos and, um, you know, put it out there. And so now basically rather than having to sit through an hour or two in in a given afternoon that's kind of pre-decided, um, researchers are able to just go on YouTube um, or from our website or from YouTube itself and just go and watch the videos at their leisure. They can go back and rewatch certain parts. Um, it's, they've all got transcripts and they've got the slide presentations available. Um, so all this material that we've done is just out there and it, and it didn't honestly take that long to do. The longest part was probably the translation part because it's kind of out of our hands. We have a language services department that, that takes over that. And I, so I think, honestly, I think it was less than a week to put the slides and the script together and, um, the rest of the. The rest of the time, it was, I think, three or four weeks to translate it because obviously they do a very, very thorough job and they're also really, really busy at this time of year, in especially in 2020. So, um, yeah, so it ended up really great, but it meant that I have never, my job description does not include anything about video editing, but as I, I was able to make that my job, even though it's not my job. And um, so, yeah, anytime we have video projects in the future now, I can basically say, hey, I've already done this. Um, we can just roll it into part of my job and and maybe at some point um in the future we'll we'll have to see how it goes but maybe at some point in the future video editing can just be an official part of my job um so another thing that i would say is you know um if you have a skill like like i've described just so far um that you might be able to use and you're just not really sure you don't have any opportunity yet it's always a good idea to use downtime at work to to practice these skills, especially things that could tangentially relate to the work you do. Um, one of the things that I have set up in my, we at answer, we have, well, I think all federal government has performance management um, frameworks in place. And so we signed an agreement at the beginning of the year saying, basically, this is what, these are the things that I'm committing to doing. These are kind of milestones that we're setting. And then there's specific training that you're setting up like a learning plan um, just to, you know, personal improvement is often the, um, the point of that. So I've got in my performance management agreement um, that I want to self-teach visual basic programming. And just because that's the language that, that's used with Word and Excel and, and all these programs to program. And so it's actually in my agreement that every week I'm going to spend a few hours doing this, just, just learning, just practicing. And um, so that doesn't always come like sometimes it gets really busy at work. And so I don't spend those two hours every single week but some weeks i'm going to spend you know most of the week programming something and so it's been really it's been really nice to have that built in and like honestly have the conversation with your supervisor if you're at all interested in doing that at work um, the other thing i would say 
again, if, if your time is more structured than that and you don't necessarily have a lot of like technically downtime in the day, um, the evenings and weekends, if you have like a side hustle you can work on, like, like a podcast or a video series or something that you're working on, or even blog series, like whatever your skill is, um, if you can work on it on a project that doesn't relate to work or kind of, again, kind of tangentially relates to work in the evenings and weekends to practice your skills, that's always, um, really, really productive if you're able to swing it. I know some people just have really big, like if you have, if you have kids, it can be hard to do that, but, um, kids got to sleep sometimes, right? That's what I'm doing this when my kids asleep. Um, you do have time, you, you do have to commit to it, but there's, there's time in the day you can find it. And, uh, yeah. So the last thing I'm going to say is the, the only other piece of advice I have is if you've thought all this through and you have some ideas of things you might want to work on, um, but so far haven't had the opportunity, uh, reach out to colleagues, reach out to your supervisor and say, Hey, listen, I, I'm feeling unmotivated at work. Um, the work that I have, I would love to be able to take some new project or something different and obviously fill in the blanks with whatever that is, give more details. Um, but basically say, Hey, I'd like to take on something else. I'd like to, you know, add this project to my portfolio, add this project to what I'm, to what I want to do. And, um, like I said, in, again, we have these performance management agreements in my PMA, um, I have a line at the very end, it talks about career interests. And I say, basically, I, I want to have flexibility to take on projects that, that interest me. And as they come up and be able to react quickly to things like that, um, you'd be surprised how, I mean, obviously this takes a good manager. This takes a good supervisor to be able to rein in your, um, interests and kind of apply them directly to things. Um, but you'd be surprised even if your supervisor seems like somebody um, or like your job seems like something that's very rigid, how interested they're going to be in trying to help you if you come up with uh, an idea like that or, or say, listen, I'm, I'm not you're not necessarily saying I'm bored at work. But what you're saying is I'd like to take on an additional challenge, some additional responsibility. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd really love for for the opportunity to do that. And you'd be surprised because they're they're probably going to be on board because they've probably got something in mind. Um, you know, ev everybody who is, you know, interested in their work always is thinking about, hey, how can I make it even better? And so if you're thinking that your supervisor is also probably thinking that. And um, yeah, so that's all I've got to say on that. I highly recommend taking something that is not your job and making it your job. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really great. And if you can follow what I've what I've laid out here, you probably have a pretty good chance of making it happen. So thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye.